Welcome to People in Sales, Not Sales People, a podcast where we analyze the person behind the salesperson. And I am super, 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 super excited to uh, introduce Kyle. Kyle has held various different roles. He's got eight plus years of SaaS sales experience, held roles as an account executive, um, and uh, newly is the founder of Huddle.ai. Kyle, how are you doing? Doing great, brother. Great, great to be on, Matthew. Happy to be here, man. Yes, I'm super excited to dive into your experience, and I know this conversation is going to go to many, many, many um, interesting places, and a lot of people are going to get great things out of it. So we can just dive in here. I want to go all the way back to the beginning of your journey in sales. What drew you towards sales? How'd you get in the industry? Yeah, man, let's do it. So uh, sales, uh, you know, some people, you know, they say you're born with it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my Both my parents are extremely uh, great salespeople. Uh, they just live and breathe sales. Uh, they're entrepreneurs. They've started their own companies. Uh, when I got out of high school, I did about 10 years in the restaurant and bar industry. Okay. Uh, so not really your, your typical sales environment, really more of just a service environment, uh, but really developed just a knack for communicating with people, right? Like I've always been a, a good communicator, been pretty articulate, you know, good sense of humor, like to make people laugh. Uh, but the restaurant industry really rounded me out with different personalities of people, right? In the restaurant, you meet every type of person. And so being able to kind of get a master's course in communicating with different personality types, right? Some people are talkers, some people aren't, you know, and I could kind of get a read from a table like, all right, this this guy doesn't want to talk with me right now. He wants me to take the order and be gone. And other people are like, oh, they need help. They're on their first date. They need me to lighten the mood and tell a couple of jokes, right? And so kind of reading the room and reading the vibe. Uh, so I did the restaurant industry for about 10 years, uh, and actually, uh, while doing that, developed a little bit of an addiction uh, to uh, alcohol and substances. Uh, you know, restaurant industry is like the third highest industry for substance abuse, uh, uh, you know, and so developed a little bit of an addiction and then uh, actually got sober while working at a bar uh, and was stayed at that bar for about six months longer after getting sober, uh, you know, because God kind of, God kind of just put it on my heart to uh, create this initiative called Sober Bars, bars without alcohol, right? Places where people could go uh, and hang out substance-free and talk to the opposite sex and, you know, uh, enjoy the nightlife without being tempted to do dollar shots and to take in substances. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was wildly unsuccessful. It was incredibly difficult to, uh, you know, sell $8 mocktails and things like that. But the movement of Sober Bars uh, has taken hold. Like there's other sober bars across the country that are doing it really, really well. But for me, it just wasn't, it wasn't something that I was able to kind of make successful. Um, But that led me into my next career. So I was really, you know, gung-ho about sober bars and gave a TED talk uh, about substance-free spaces in the community and the importance of that, Mm -hmm. uh, right? And developing connections and how the opposite of addiction isn't uh, sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I gave this really compelling TED talk where one of my buddies, uh, one of my mentors was like, hey man, I don't know if anyone's told you, you got the gift of gab. Uh, you sold me on sober bars when I listened to your TED talk. You know, hey, I, I'm in software. Uh, maybe, you know, we should talk about getting you a software sales gig. And so that's how things kind of turned the corner for me. I got hired as an SDR. Three months later, got promoted to an AE. Uh, three years later, took another role as an enterprise AE and moved into enterprise management and RevOps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of been my eight year sales journey. Okay. Uh, and then just in the past couple of years, got into uh, applications, you know, software development and AI, uh, and, you know, you know, making another pivot. But yeah, that's kind of been the history. Yes. I love that story, man. I love that story a lot. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And yeah, I think the need for 
places where people can come and socialize and communicate without having to be tempted by these substances or doing something that's honestly harmful for them is is needed. So I I love your heart with that, man. That's that's super awesome. So, Thanks, man. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm super passionate about it. Like that's still still on my heart and still my passion project for sure. So I still you know try to help people who are you know struggling with addiction. I still just try to live my life as an example of like, hey, life can be fun. You know, like when you're when you're 10, you hula hoop because it's fun. But then you're 20 and it's like, ah, hula hooping is not cool anymore. Hula hooping still cool. You just became too cool for school. Right. And so like helping people lower their inhibitions and showing people like life's still fun. You don't need substances to enjoy life. Uh, you know, substances actually take take the edge off of life. Right. And so, yeah, it's something still very close to my heart as a passion project. Yeah, man. I love that. A lot of people need to hear that. So that's that's huge, man. So you came into uh, the world as a, a good communicator you got acclimated to how to resonate with different personalities through working your restaurant gig. And then, you know, you actually started getting into sales and the structure and the science of conversations. And I want to, I want to talk about that or just more generally, how do you feel like you have grown as a salesperson? Cause you came in probably with one expectation of what sales is. Let's just talk to people. But then you probably figured out that there's strategy and, um a science to sales itself tell me tell me about yeah it. yeah oh my gosh man so if thinking about my early days of sales just makes me want to cringe uh because it was just so bad like and, and every sales guy has that story of getting into sales and just having a completely different expectation I, I forgot to mention i actually worked on selling cars for about six months okay uh and selling cars is just the worst uh right and so my expectation of sales uh, was, you know, I have to convince people, I have to convince them, you know, be friendly, smile, be engaging, but then convince them. Uh, and, you know, picking up the phone was so challenging, right? Like cold calling, that was the worst, man. I, I hated cold calling uh, at first, right? And I hated trying to overcome objections. And, and you know, all these, there was just such challenging things to, to, to try to do in sales. It's just new muscles, right? Muscles you've never had to learn, uh, you know, but actually, you know, real sales is muscles that most people have if you have relationships, right? You know, you're you're selling all the time. Like if you're oh, if you're married or you got a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, like you you made a sale, right? You closed the deal, uh, right? And so, uh, you know, positioning and all those things, uh, you know, it's just I think when people get into sales, you know, they have this predisposition of what it's supposed to be like. Uh, and so when I got into sales, I had. Um, you know, I was fortunate to have some people that, you know, not only took chances on me, but gave me some really in-depth coaching. You know, I was being coached on a daily basis. It wasn't like, hey, here's a script. Good luck, buddy. You know, I was being coached and mentored and taught like, hey, here, here's what you need to do to be successful. And here are the steps, right? And you can't just go, you know, for, you know, 15 yards out. You got to go a yard at a time. Uh, and so learning those kind of micro steps that lead to a close, um, you know, when, when I first started out. So there was a lot of different, um, man like accepting a Grammy. I'd like to thank this person. I'd like to thank that person. Uh, you know, there's so many people that like pour yeah. into my process to help me grow as a salesperson uh, and to help me develop those skills. But also it was just trial and error and experience, right? Like if, if you, if you were on, if you do sales long enough, you're going to, you're going to figure it out, right? You're going to figure out what's working and what's not working as long as you're coachable and teachable uh, and you have the insights that you need. Um, you know, I saw, you know, I would meet some sales guys that were just they couldn't get out of their own head, you know, like, oh man, I can't take an objection today. Right. Or I can't pick up that phone or, you know, I can't change the way I talk. I can't change the way I can't change my script, you know, and, and sales guys really, you know, we develop habits, right. We develop these rhythms, rhythms so we can have momentum, but we also have to be refining those things. And, 
Um, yeah. yeah. I love that, man. It's really important to be coachable and to listen as a salesperson. And then also there's this skill set of uh, just personal iteration. You have to understand what's working and what's not in your conversations. If someone says no, it's not. If someone says no to you, it's not their fault. I think it's your fault. You did something wrong <laughs> and you have to figure out where in the conversation it, you lost the person. Um, and, oh, and yeah. Right on that. So that's huge. Um, and yeah, you got to find the right coach. You um, trial and error is very big. But then there's also scenarios where salespeople don't have the mentor or the coach and they don't, they don't want to fail on customers. Do you have any books or resources that you found helpful um, to, to have people learn, to help people learn. So. Yeah. I mean, gap selling and the challenger sale are probably two of my favorite, uh, just, you know, the way the, the books are even written themselves, but just the, the strategy of like, you know, what's your, what's the person's current state, what's their future state and how can you get them to, right. How can you fill that gap? How can you get them to that future state? Right. And then, you know, with the challenger sale of just, you know, teaching people how to, be bold, right? Like, like know your industry, be an expert in your industry and don't be scared to challenge someone. People are so anti-confrontational, uh, right? And confrontation is hard to do well, right? But some of the best moments in my life has been when someone confronted me with truth, right? And so as a salesperson, you have to have that boldness to say, you know what? I know because because I'm an expert in this industry, I know it's going to benefit this person. And I'm going to say it with conviction. I'm not going to hide behind it. I'm not going to be scared if they resist it a little bit. Like I'm going to speak with conviction and help them understand like, hey, like I hear you saying XYZ is going to lead to growth, but research shows that ABC is going to lead to growth. And I can show you some examples of how that's going to work because people get it in their own minds of like, oh, I know what leads to growth without data. And so when you have the data, you have a responsibility to share that data and to share it with conviction, right? And so I would say Challenger Sale and, and Gap Selling are two of my favorite books. And then really, I would just encourage all salespeople as a resource, take personality tests, like understand personality types. What's super interesting is when I did that six months of car sales, they sent me to a training center for like a three-day seminar just to learn personality types so I could sell to different personalities right? And sell to different people who came onto the lot. And it was, I thought it was like, wow, this is overkill training for car sales. I thought, you know, but it, it, it was super helpful to understand that like, Hey, if I got an INFJ, you know, like I, I gotta, I gotta coax them a little bit, right? Like they're not going to open up. I gotta open them up. Right. And so like understanding personality types and being able to identify like what type of person am I talking to right now is going to be super helpful for salespeople. So they're not just doing the same pitch, you know, and, and falling on deaf ears. Right. Exactly. I think that last part is key falling on deaf ears because there are different personalities and, and buyer personalities that want to be pitched a certain way, right? If you're dealing with someone who's more analytical and you start telling a story, you don't want to hear the story. She don't want to hear the story. They need the facts. They need the figures, the percentage. Right. That's how they make decisions, you know? Exactly right. If you're dealing with a more expressive person. They don't care about the facts. Make them feel good. Like, what's the story? Who, you know, look like a boss driving down the road in this, <laughs> in the convertible, right? And 100%. It's to get people to communicate in a way that resonates with people, right? And that's what- Absolutely. And, and understanding what their motivations are, right? Mm -hmm. Different personality types have different motivations. Some people are motivated by connection or love or relationships. Other people are motivated by- you know, numbers and finance, right? And so like, understand what is their motivation and how can I speak to that? Right, right. Huge. I love it. Good stuff, man. So let's break down the sales cycle. 
because you yeah. you do sales from outreach all the way to close. And I know there's going to be a lot of good nuggets for small businesses, for startups, and even just people um, in sales, growing in sales. Um, and I'd love to do just a sales strategy, sales strategy session with you, man. Let's do this. Let's do it, bro. Let's do all it. Right. Let's start with top of the funnel. So when you're in sales, how do you how do you bring in customers? Where do you even go to find customers? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is, you know, and I always love being on, everyone loves to be unorthodox. You like to say the, the least expected thing, right? Uh, you know, check this out, uh, out of left field. Uh, I, I say that before you can even find customers, you have to be a master of your product. Your product knowledge has to be amazing. You have to know the product inside and out, you know, and, and every different way that it's applicable to your industry, right? So you have to know your industry, you have to know your product. Once you know your industry and you know your product, it's not hard to find where your customers are, right? You're going to know where your customers are based on the industry and the product, right? And so I love, you know, you know, obviously social selling, right? Getting on LinkedIn and, and building connections, right? And, and you know, making friends, right? And, and just networking, uh, getting on social media. Those are all great. Using tools like Zoom, Zoom Info, right? And where can I find, you know, people that have buyer's intent and, you know, Clearbit and uh, user gems is one of my favorite uh, company concepts where like, they'll let you know when one of your customers has moved to another company. Right. And so you've got a friend at this new company at this new logo. Right. Uh, so there's tons of different tools out there to help with prospecting. I also just like to access, I'm a very creative person and I like to just access my creativity when I'm prospecting. Right. And so I like to find, I like to find a way to do something no one else is doing. Right. So maybe, you know, I'm on Reddit and I'm going to find my prospects on Reddit. Right. Or I'm going to use a Google search for a specific link to websites, uh, a specific, I'm going to do a Google search for links that live on existing websites that I know my customers use, right? So like, like peripheral products, if I sell product A, and it's a great fit for product B, I'm going to search for all the people who use product B, right? If these people use company B, right, they're going to be super interested in my company because we integrate, right? Or we're connected or we're parallel. So I love prospecting into parallel uh, companies or parallel organizations. Yeah, yeah. Let's dive into that real quick, just so uh, everyone can understand what you mean, because I think that's really powerful. So, give us an example. Maybe you worked at Resi. Did you do this at Resi at all? Yeah, absolutely. So, Resi live streaming right. churches, nonprofits, Spotify, Xbox. You know, like you know, everyone in the event streaming uh, industry, right? And so, one of the things I would do is I would look at uh, LED walls. Okay. Right. So if you're an organization that's streaming and you're streaming to different facilities, you're going to put it up on a big, beautiful LED wall. Right. When you display that other facility, you want it to look nice. And so you're going to put it up on this big LED wall. So I would find LED wall companies and I would look at their portfolio. Like who have they worked with? Right. Like what churches or nonprofits have these super slick LED walls? And I would call up and be like, hey, you know what look really great on the LED wall? Some 4K live streaming, uh, <laughs> right? And I would just start hitting them because we had the best 4K streaming in the industry, right? And so that's one example of how I would kind of reverse engineer where my prospects are, right? Um, right. If you're fortunate enough to have a large customer base, I would say before you ever prospect into the wild, right? You always start with your customer base, right? You always start with people who are close to your customers in proximity. You always start with people who are near your customers in regards to business size or industry speed, right? And so if you if you can find someone that I love as a company, I'm going to hear you out, right? If, if someone I love works with you, all right, well, let's hear what you got because I love that company and how they run their business. So I'm going to hear you out. So I always start like, if, I, if I'm at a company that has a great customer base, I start there. 
if they don't have a great customer base, there's not a lot of referral action going on or potential, then I'm going to go find peripheral, uh, peripheral providers. Yeah. I love that, man. That's a new idea for me even, right? Peripheral. Yeah. So if I'm going, so basically if somebody buys a really nice home with a really great garage, I'm calling them up as a car salesman and saying, you know, a little great <laughs> garage. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Is that a two-car garage or a one-car garage? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. So smart. So smart. Okay. Awesome. So that's a bit about data gathering. I'm trying to decipher if there's any other um, areas in which we want to go there because uh, there's so much gold. Um, so yeah, so after you have the lists, how do you actually contact the people? What's the best channels? How do you create, how do you bring in leads and have discovery meetings? Yeah, absolutely. So you definitely want to make sure that you have kind of everything on your end buttoned up before you're reaching out. So you've got your templates, you've got your snippets, right? You've got your, uh, you know, lists curated already, right? I don't try to do prospecting and calling like, like prospect research and calling, I don't do them simultaneously, right? I do them in blocks, right? If I'm going to do my list creation and my prospect research, I'm going to do that in a big block of time, right? Probably the day before, probably the end of my day. And then the next morning, I'm going to hit the phones and I'm going to start calling through that prospect list and emailing that prospect list. Mm -hmm. um, so you really want to do your prospect research ahead of time. Um, but all right, so you're trying to find leads, you're trying to generate new business. Yeah. Obviously, you need to identify like, here's here's my list and here's my targets, right? And I like to go after a niche. So like we'll use the Resi LED wall example. If I'm going after churches or nonprofits who use these LED walls, right? I now have a campaign. I have a specific email sequence about our relationship to that, right? I have a specific call script about our relationship to those LED walls. Like everything I'm doing is, is, is campaign for that niche, Right. Yeah. And I try to separate all of my prospects into specific niches or campaigns so that I can maintain momentum and efficiency. Right. I don't want to move from healthcare into live event technology. Right. Like I don't want to make those big leaps. I want to stay in an industry or stay in a vertical and really hammer that out. And, and if I start seeing good results, I'm going to continue. If I start seeing low conversion, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go to a different industry, different vertical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And as someone who is, relatively new to sales. I got into sales around three years ago. I want to do uh, just a bit of nomenclature check for all the, the tech salespeople or the people who are not super savvy in sales. When we say sequences, right? I didn't even know what a sequence was back in the day. Oh, yeah. But I, I love to define that. In sales, um, it takes around eight to nine touch points before someone actually says yes to you or even replies to you. So a sequence is basically a series of touch points uh, that allow that series of touch points for you to to um, to contact your your prospect. So if I'm reaching out to person A, I would set up an email sequence with maybe four or five emails and then two calls sprinkled in there and then put that person through that sequence. Kyle, I'd love for you to give an overview of how you build your sequences, how many steps there are and uh, just go how you go about the campaign building process yeah so the way i build sequences today versus when i first started in sales is completely different when i used to write an email it was a book it was a novel i had not learned the lesson that people aren't going to read everything i write right it was a hard lesson to learn and for me it actually took longer than it probably takes most people because i'm just i'm a communicator so i don't want you to miss out any details i don't want to miss anything um so when i do sequences now i make a very conscious effort to make sure these are short emails. These are readable. 
uh, these are value packed content. If it doesn't provide value, I don't click send. Like it just doesn't go out if it doesn't provide value. So that's something I that took a long time to learn. You know, I used to send emails like, Hey, just checking in. Are you still interested? You know, you filled out a form two years ago, right? Like no one wants to open a checking in email. No one cares if you're checking in, if you're just following up, like that doesn't provide value. Right. So I try to make sure that I provide value uh, and I like to kind of change my cadence up and have some variety. Like if I'm sending you emails, I'm sending you texts. If I'm sending you texts, I'm connecting with you on LinkedIn. Like I like to try to cover all of my bases. And and um, there's some different methodologies about like how to space out your sequence steps. One of them that I like is called the barbell. So if you can imagine a barbell where it's like really thick on both ends and then kind of skinny in, in the middle. Uh, and so I use that same kind of strategy when I'm building sequences of like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to really go after them with a lot of calls and emails in those first couple of weeks. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to spread it out over a couple of weeks. I'm going to go a little softer and then I'm going to bring it home at the end there with, you know, five or six touch points in those next, in those last two weeks. Right. And so trying to use that barbell strategy to uh, increase touch points at the beginning and the end of your sequence, uh, but give it some breathing room in the middle. Uh, and then also like, if, if you're new to sequences and email and value props, like you want to be connecting on LinkedIn with people like Josh Braun or Daniel Disney, or, you know, uh, there's this guy, Brian LaMana, Carl Ferreira. Uh, there's these guys I've made connections with, you know, that can become like these LinkedIn influencers uh, when it, you know, Keenan, when it comes to sales strategy of, you know, like, Hey, here's, here's an email that's getting a 30, you know, 20% conversion rate or whatever. Right. And so you want to be kind of up to date with the latest of what's working in the sales world and that re and that requires following specific you know sales leaders and influencers and innovators yeah that's huge um going back to a thought that i had when you were telling your stories before i think it's incredibly beneficial um to be different in sales and you have to constantly think about how you can not sound like every other salesperson trying to get in front of someone so the more you can innovate and be different, um, the better. And that's why keeping up with some of these influencers is, is good because they're usually at the forefront of the, the newest message that, that works or the newest, newest innovation. Um, so, so that's huge. The sequence uh, structure I loved was the Agoji sequence. It's a series of steps that took place uh, from day one to day 22. I think it was a 22-day sequence. Um, and it was a, it was omni-channel campaign over LinkedIn, email and phone call. And it was great. And one thing about sales and one thing about, uh, these sequences is you may, you may feel annoying. And I, <laughs> I, I want to say some people are very, very grateful that you continue to push on. I remember when sure. I was, I remember when I was uh, managing a sales team and I would call someone probably for like the fourth time. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're the guy who sent me the email about X, Y, Z. Thank you for being persistent because we actually need this. They thank yeah. you for just bless those people. Bless <laughs> those people, bro. Those are your best friends. Right. Make friends right. with those people. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's great. So some people may, may get upset, but everybody's busy and you're at the bottom of people's to-do list, especially if you're coming in cold. So it's important for you to have continuous touch points. Any thoughts on yeah. that one? Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, and, and even to that point of like, you know, research shows that, you know, someone has to, you know, in marketing, you've got to see a brand, what is it, seven, 15 times, you got to see a brand a lot, right, before you're going to be able to associate with that brand, remember that brand. And the same thing is true of sales, you know, the, the high, the more touch points uh, that you have, the higher your conversion rate is going to be, right? Like you have to touch at least seven times. So you have to make a minimum of seven touches. You know, I worked at, at when early in sales, 
you know, I would burn through lists. I would uh, call email done, call email done, maybe a second email, right? And that was it. Three touches, you're never going to get a deal with three touches. If you're not doing a minimum of seven touches, you're nowhere close to being in the ballpark of closing a deal or making a sale or making a connection or getting a meeting, right? And so it's really important to, you know, have those those touches. Um, but then, oh, man, what's the other thing I was going to say? You said something that was amazing. Uh, I was going to say uh, about... Um, uh, oh yeah, persistence. So when you're prospecting, right, and and you're reaching out to people, some people are going to get really annoyed when you call that third or fourth time, right? But something that I've learned is that aside from the one percent who are really going to give you a piece of their mind, most people are super easy to diffuse, right? All you have to do is just be authentic, transparent, and be bold, right? Be bold enough to tell a little joke or just call it out. Like call, I've always been taught, call out the elephant in the room. Never pretend like you don't see the elephant. Like, hey, John, you know, I know this is like my sixth call. Uh, I know you, you know, maybe you're getting tired of getting these voicemails. Uh, we'd love to get something on the calendar uh, to save you the phone space, right? And make it and make it fun and make it engaging. And, and people are going to understand that, you know, this is your job, right? This is this is what you have to do to be successful, right? So don't take shortcuts on yourself because some people aren't going to like what you have to do to be successful, right? You got to have that persistence, uh, and then you have you go find ways to help people, you know, to diffuse it. Uh, and it'll build that tough skin that you need to be in the sales game. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. I was interviewing Jorn from Redis, and he said, you can always make a joke out of something. And I love that. Absolutely. Because he was selling uh, to Americans, and his accent was still, he's from the Netherlands, and his accent was still pretty thick. And he was like, yeah, but I got past it because you can always make a joke out of something. I was like, I love yeah. that. Make a joke out of the uh, out of yeah. that. Have you ever seen those videos? It, they're like YouTube videos where a guy shows up on your on your porch and he's got all these cleaning products, right? And he's like, "No, just, look at this, look at this." He dumps some Kool Aid on your on your porch. And he starts cleaning it up, right? Or he, you know, he spills some chocolate on your window and starts cleaning it up, right? And it's so funny and entertaining that he gets your attention ten times longer than a normal guy that was like, "Here's my pamphlet. Would you like to buy these cleaners?" He, get out of here. But a guy that's like willing to show you and entertain you and connect with you and like live mm -hmm. life with you and be vibrant, like those type of people will be able to have more grace. You'll, you, they'll get more grace from others. They'll get more time from others. They'll get more deals and business from others. Agreed. Agreed. Ah, I love talking about outreach because that's my passion. Um, and, but I, but I want to move on because there's some nuggets as we go down to the funnel, uh, through the funnel that I know you, uh, that I know you have. Uh, the first one is all around objection handling, even when it comes to cold calling. Uh, many different people, would throw out objections to you, some smokescreen objections, some price objections. Talk us through how you feel about objections and we can just stick in the cold call realm and then we can go to this discovery call and do some more objections down the road. But how do you how do you think about objections when it comes to cold calls? Yeah, so the way I think about objections is, um, I don't know if you've ever uh, caught an egg, but when you catch an egg, you can't just hold your hand out. Right? You can't catch an egg like a baseball, right? Uh, you have to embrace it. You kind of have to cradle. You kind of have to go under with it and pull it in and embrace it, right? And so there's this pulling it in type of motion that you have to do. Uh, and objections are the same way. When you first start in sales, an objection is the worst, right? You're like, oh no, this is the worst. They don't want to buy. That's right where your head goes. It's like, there's an objection. They're not going to buy. They're upset with me. This is going to be uncomfortable. And so what does a sales guy do when, when they're new, when they're green? They immediately combat it. Oh, no, it's not really that expensive. If you look at the round, you know, market or like, you know, oh, it's no, it's not that clunky. Like it's, you know, oh, the, the, that competitor is not very good. Like they'll just do everything they can to discredit your objection. And people hate when they're not 
related to, empathize with, heard, right? When they're not listened to, right? So if I get an objection, the first thing I want to do is better understand it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to jump to a conclusion. If you give me an objection, I want to ask, can you explain? Can you, can you talk more about that, about that concern, right? So I really want to get them talking about their objection so that I have the full understanding of that objection. Because sometimes what they say is not really the objection, right? right? It's, it's a manifestation of something else, right? It's something else underneath that objection. And so the more I get them talking about the objection, the more I get a better picture of what's, what's really going on, right? Uh, and so uh, with those objections, you know, and I do this a lot in my discovery, I always look at myself I pretend I'm a doctor and you've walked into my office and my job is to diagnose what's going on with you, right? So I have to press on a couple of things. I've got to ask you a bunch of questions. I've got to get you to tell me your symptoms and tell me your problems, right? And so I do a lot of that discovery, but I also do that with objections. Like, tell me more, like how, and how painful is, is that objection? Like how, how big of a deal is this to you? Is this a really big deal? Is this a deal breaker type of objection, right? So I try to embrace objections. I don't try to, to refute them. I try to agree whenever possible. If they bring me an objection and that objection is valid, I agree with it. Mm. You're right. It is an expensive solution. That's because it produces a really big ROI. It's, it's, it's not like those other products out there, right? Like we are doing something different and that's why it's going to cost a little bit more. It's an investment. It's a partnership, right? And so when you're getting objections like that, like I love to partner with the objection, right? I'm making them feel heard. I'm agreeing with them. I'm validating them. And yet I'm still saying, but that doesn't mean we're not going to continue right? Like I hear your objection. There's real validity to that objection, but let me help you see it in another way. Let me help you see the outcome, right? Let me help you see how that objection can be resolved, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And so, you know, my encouragement for any sales guys out there is don't fight the objection, embrace it, embrace the objection. Right. You, you can't script out every response to an objection um, because it, you don't understand what the, the objection behind the objection is or the meaning behind the objection is. So you have to absolutely ask, your script should be a question. So you're like, what do you mean by that? Right? Yeah, exactly. I love that. You got a cradle. Don't tense up. Don't just kind of, Oh, you said this. Okay. Well look at all these facts and figures on why you're wrong and just start yelling <laughs> and tensing. Like, no, no, no. See I'm that. telling you, man, <laughs> I'm telling you. Seek to understand, not be understood. Love that. Love that. Okay. So is there any specific sales methodology or strategy you have found effective as you uh, think about objections? Yeah. I mean, really the challenger sale has been the, the biggest influence on me when it comes to handling objections, right? Okay. So I want to, you know, after I understand your objection, I want to use my industry knowledge and my expertise and whatever social proof I can bring to the table as well, whatever case studies and testimonies I can bring to the table as well to help you change the way you're thinking about that objection. Right. And to help you understand that, hey, that's an objection for you right now, but there's a larger objection that you should be more concerned about. And that's the loss of ROI that you're currently experiencing. That's the lack of X, Y, Z that you currently don't have. Right. And so I hear your objection, but I also see there's a bigger problem that you may not be aware of that other people in your same shoes, other people in this industry, other people we've served and helped were aware of as a larger issue. And we were able to help them resolve that and, and overcome that issue. Right. And so uh, you know, I, I really like to challenge and, you know, uncover, ask people to really explain themselves, like, you know, tell me more, let me help me understand that. And then, all right, well, have you heard of this company? Uh, well, you know, they had a similar objection, right? And they had a similar concern. And here's how it worked out for them. Here's, here's how the result was. Here's how that objection was overcome by their success story, right? So the best way to overcome an objection is to show how someone else 
succeeded and had that same objection. I love that. I love that. Um, are there specific instances where you would actually push instead of educate? Yeah, I think so. I think if you are convinced, right, that the person's objection is either not the real objection uh, or, you know, you're convinced that they're just wrong, it's okay to push. You got to push. Uh, sometimes you got to push, right? Like sometimes it's like, hey, I'm going to try to lead you to this conclusion yourself. But other times you got to say, hey, you know, I, you know, I, I have to be honest that that's not what we've seen from the data. Right. Do you have any data that supports? Right. And so that's what I'll jump into. Like, where, where's your data? Can you support that objection? Or, you know, or I'll say, you know, sometimes, you know, churches specifically, you know, back when I was doing streaming would say, uh, you know, oh, we just don't have budget for this. There's no budget for this over my head. We don't have budget for it. Churches move budget around all the time. Budget changes constantly. Right. And there's always budget exceptions. Right. So so you would get that objection. Like, well, how do I overcome that? They said, I don't have money. How do you sell a car to somebody who's got no money? Right. Like that doesn't work. Right. But that's not that's not the true objection. The true objection is they don't see the value, right? Mm -hmm. If they don't see the value, then no, they don't. No one has the money if they don't right. see the value, right? Yeah, perceive as trash, right? Exactly. exactly. If you see the value, though, you're gonna find the money. Mm -hmm. You're gonna look under your couch. I got a quarter here. I got something there. Like you're gonna find the money if you see the value. And so that's always the uh, the real objection. The real objection is always I don't see the value. And so what it comes down to is either you didn't show them the value or your product doesn't have the value. Some products out there don't have the value. And my encouragement to sales guys is don't sell those products. Leave those companies as fast as you can. If that company does not have a good product market fit and the product's not a great product, why sell it? Why mm -hmm. spend your nights on the, you know, trying to get somebody to buy a subpar product, go sell a product. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's big as a product guy. And as a founder, I want to say, at least give the founders a heads up. <laughs> like, yeah, always, always. Isn't working. You got to switch the product. It needs to do X, Y, Z. Because I do think that there's a disconnect. And let's let's go on a tangent here. I think there's a disconnect between sales and product development. Yeah. And salespeople are talking to the customer. The, and the customer oh knows what they want to buy. But the salespeople don't, they're, they're not making the product features. Right. It's oh my gosh. Right. Talk to this, us. About. Of, of all the tangents we could go on, this is the one, man. This is the one that's going to keep us here all night. So, I, so working in restaurants for 10 years, there was front of house people and back of house people. And these were two different types of people. The front of house people, right? They were the, you know, gift to gab. They're the talkers. They're the ones out there and they're, you know, smoozing the guests and they're taking right. the orders, right? And they're dancing and they're doing the thing. And, and they're, they're the front of house people, right? And their job, is is harder in a different way right it's it's emotionally harder right but then you guys hit guy the guys in the back of the house you got the people cooking the food washing the dishes right setting up the tables and all those things and those people are just operate differently right and they're doing they're 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 artists right what they're doing is they're crafting they're building they're creating they're scientists they're using flavors right it's a different it's a builder right you got a builder versus seller and they're two different personality types and they're both experts in their own arena and they're both connecting with the customer in a different way, mm. right? The builder is giving the customer something enjoyable and giving them an experience, right? The customer is helping, or the the the, the seller, right? The, the front of house person is helping the customer understand what's going to be best for them, best for their palate, best for their needs, best for their night, right? And so you have these different perspectives. When you get into tech, when you get into the tech world and you get into, or you know, just any kind of product and sales discussion, Product people so often 
are just like, hey, this is, it has to be built this way because functionally that's right, right? Yeah. We have to build it the right way. Right, right, right. Right, yeah. and, and, and so, you know, product guys always go for a perfect product. How can I make this product perfect? How can I fix every little thing about this product? How can I, you know, build only the features that make sense, that are logical, and, and that's good to an extent, but if sales can't speak into the product, you're going to have the best product that no one ever bought, right? You're going to have the best working product that no one knows about because your sales guys are not helping you understand not everything that needs to be built needs to be, needs to be the best. Like, like sometimes the thing you need to build is the thing that sells it, right? So there's features that make the product amazing. And then there's features that make the product easy to sell, right? Mm -hmm. And so product development sales, you know, there's, there's this tension and, and product is so, like you said, they're, they're, they're removed from the customer so often, right? They're not having conversations with the customer, right? And if they are, it's like limited, right? But if a salesperson's having 30 conversations a day over six months, guess who understands the direction that the product should go almost better than anybody, the person who has the voice of the customer. So yeah, I'm a big proponent of and I've worked at orgs that the organizations that did this really well, where sales was brought in and product wanted to talk to sales and said, Hey, you know, we need to know we've got 10 features that we're betting on this next cycle. Right. And we need to know what have you heard from the customer mm -hmm. as the ones that are going to move the needle the most, mm -hmm. right? Cause sales is the lifeblood of the organization. If you're not selling your, your products, not going anywhere. You just have, you have a cool tool. <laughs> You've got a cool tool that I hope you got enough burn rate. To, yeah, to keep right. building because if you're not selling it, you're going out of business. Exactly. <laughs> My biggest thing around um, around that is right now I have a startup and I'm playing both roles, the salesperson and the product developer. And if I spend a week without talking to my customer, I start getting paranoid because I'm like, okay, we need to build more creative features. We need, oh, our competition is doing this. So maybe I should like create a feature around this and this and this. Maybe my customer needs this and this and this. I start dreaming of all these other features. And um, then when I recommit myself to the customer and start doing customer interviews, I like to do customer interviews at the beginning of my day and the end of my day. And I talk so to important. them and they just bring up the same concerns that my original features solve it like revalidates the fact that like, hey, I don't need to build all this other tools and all this other stuff just because I can or just because me as a developer thought of it. I need to stay true to the heart of the problem. And that may just be two or three things that you need to be good at, right? And sometimes yeah. people, you're like, oh, but as a developer, this just came out. Oh, I need to be better than my competition. But no, just stay to like what the problem is, you know? Absolutely, 100% right. And, and but, but to also play like the other side of the coin there, there are times where the customer is not in touch with what they really truly need, right? So there's times where customers are gonna say, oh man, I really want this slick feature, it'd be so cool, but it doesn't move their bottom line, right? If the feature doesn't move their bottom line, right? Then there's a little tension there that has to be understood and addressed, right? So as long as you have the customer's voice, you'll be able to make the intelligent decision, right? But if you don't have the customer's voice then all you have is your imagination, right? And what you vision as the best version of this product, uh, and, and that's never going to go well. So you got to get the customer's voice and then you got to, you know, at sometimes I appreciate when a product team has the ability to say no, you mm -hmm. know, because they know that, you know, that feature is a flash in the pan, like that feature is not going to be something or the customer may want that feature. But if we don't fix this bug, guess what they're going to be more upset about? They're going to be more upset that this thing's breaking. So that's why that feature is being, being pushed back. Right. And so there's a little bit of pushback there, but ultimately you got to have the voice of the customer. 
And if you're not doing it yourself as a product team, you, at the, you know, you, you got to involve the sales guys in that conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have that, uh, remove that disconnect or improve that disconnect. So good yeah. you for going on that tangent with me. You just brought that up. I was like, wait, 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 don't just leave. Don't leave. <laughs> you like the product. You got to make the product better. There's a reason. That's uh, right. All right. So we talked a little bit about objections, frameworks in which we can help people overcome objections. Uh, now I'd like to move to the discovery call. So you overcame all the objections on your cold call. You booked a meeting. Congratulations. What do you do in this meeting? Well, so I definitely did not overcome all of the objections on the cold call. The cold call, I, I overcame the objection to the meeting, right? So now I've got them in the meeting. There's going to be lots more objections to come throughout your entire sales process. Just get comfortable with objections. They will be there all the way with you. Um, but so now we're at the discovery call. At this point, if I've booked the meeting, I've already done a little bit of research, for this customer, right? Like already, or for this prospect, I've done a little bit of research to know who they are so I can speak intelligently. When I get the meeting booked, I'll go research crazy, right? Mm -hmm. I spend the, you know, the 30 minutes to an hour prior to the meeting, you know, depending how many meetings I have that day, I'll spend, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes before the meeting, just researching everything I can about their, their company, what's happening, all of the, you know, as much information I can. And then during the discovery call, uh, I like to just keep it high level. Let's have a high level conversation. Help me understand you know, your motivations. Let me get to know your personality a little bit, right? So I can speak to that. And then I'll just start asking questions like, tell me about your business. Tell me about revenue. Like how's revenue been, right? And so I really want to ask those questions. And once again, like I put myself in the mindset of a doctor. A doctor is going to ask you, do you smoke? Do you drink, right? The doctor is going to get in there and he's going to ask you those questions that are penetrating, that are more than small talk, right? And so I really want to get in there and understand the bones of and the DNA of their business, right? Help me understand who's your boss, right? What does your boss need from you? What would, what would make your boss's year this year? If you could do one thing to make your boss's year, what would that be, right? And, you know, everyone's got a boss they got to report to and they want to be pleasing and do a good job in that person's sight, right? So if you have you know, that context. So I like to just get full context in my discovery calls, picture that I'm a doctor. And sometimes I'll even start to discover that call that way. Like, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm going to run through about, you know, 15, 20 questions. Really, I just want to get an understanding of your company. I want to get an understanding of your goals. I want to get an understanding of like what you're trying to accomplish in this year and also in the next three to five. Like I want to understand how, you know, we can, we come alongside you. So, uh, you know, discovery call, you really just have to be tacked with the questions you're asking and not shy away from the hard ones, right? Like all sales guys all the time don't want to ask about budget. No one wants to talk about money. Money's you got to talk about it. You got to ask, you know, like, hey, from a budget standpoint, like, is this something you guys have been preparing for? Or is this something that you're going to have to really work hard to convince people that, hey, I didn't have budget for this, but I need to borrow some budget from some other department, right? Like, tell me about your budget situation. Tell me how prepared you are for this type of change, because that's also going to give you an insight into, are they really motivated to make a change? If they've set money aside for this problem, it's big enough that they, they're ready to make a change. If they haven't set money aside, they need to be convinced that the problem is big enough to set money aside, right? And so the budget question is a really important one that people gloss over. But I mean, that's really how I conduct my discovery call. I really just treat it. I have a script that I go off of, right? Like I make sure I always use a script. I hated scripts in the beginning of sales. Scripts felt so robotic. Ah, oh, it's disingenuous. It's not authentic. All the things that people feel. Scripts are professional. If you use a script, it's because you value your craft and you value the other person's time. You're not mm -hmm. going to waste their time by going off the cuff and saying whatever comes to your head. 
you're going to use a script and you're going to go into that meeting prepared and planned. And after you've mastered your script, it's not a script anymore. You now remember those islands you need to hit. One of my bosses back in the day described them as islands. What are your six islands? You're going into a call right now. What are the six islands you're going to hit? What are the six things you know you need to touch on, right? Because you get to that place where you're not following the script verbatim. You're hitting those islands. Right, right. Right, it's, and you got to hit those islands. It's a, it's a, it's a roadmap, um, and it's not something you have to follow word for word, but it's more of a structure, a framework, a blueprint, we'll say. A blueprint. Exactly. Fit different items in the conversation, you know, in certain places. So, yeah. Exactly. That. And I would, and early in sales, I would, I love improv. I do improv on the side. I don't do it as much now because I'm married and married guys don't do a lot of improv, but I used to do a ton of improv when I was single and I love doing improv and stand up and stuff off the cuff. And so when I first got into sales, I was like, I know the product and I'm a good talker. I talk good. So I'll just call these people up and I'll just wing it. And it worked a really, really low percentage of the time, right? Because you get in that meeting, you get hit with that curveball, and you don't know what to say. Oh, he said this competitor. What do I know about them? Uh, well, they're, you know, they're not as good and their mom didn't go to college. Like, like I don't know what to say, <laughs> right? Because I'm not prepared. Yeah. I don't have my collateral prepared. I haven't prepared with the script. And so scripts really, uh, really help a salesperson master their craft and understand, you know, this is how I'm going to guide the conversation. And they make it, they make the conversation People feel like you're professional and they feel like you've been prepared. Yeah, I love that. All right, two things I want to, to uh, make sure that people know, because you said two gold things I want to just reiterate. The first, going back to cold calling, the goal of the cold call is not to have a person write a check. The goal of the cold call is to sell the next meeting. That's, what that's right. Selling. selling the next Absolutely. meeting. Absolutely. Why should they give you more of their time? That's, that's what the sell is. And yep. the second thing that you mentioned was all around asking the right questions and when you do discovery and when you um, treat people like you're, you're a doctor solving their problems, you do this because your product can do many things. Uh, just We can just use the example of selling a car. A car can do anything, right? And there's many different reasons why someone should want that car, right? But what is the reason that the other person wants the car? How do exactly you right. reiterate why they should purchase the car based on their problems, right? If they want to get to Kings Island to have their kids play, that's why they need the car. Don't go and say, oh, the car can drive you all the way to Alaska and, or, you know, the car's got this mileage. No, 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 no. Car's safe. It's going to drive your kids to the Kings Island and bring them back and you're going to have a great time with this car, right? So how, how does it fit in their world? What do they specifically want, right? Yeah, and really you're not even selling a, a car. You're not selling a product. You're selling a future state. Right. Yeah. If people could press a button and be at Disney, they wouldn't buy the car. They wouldn't pay for the plane. Right. Right. Like it's a means to get to a future state. Right. So you're selling a future state. You're selling a future place they want to be, which is free of whatever pain they have right now or which is excelling in something they're not excelling or, or freed up bottleneck. Right. Like you're selling a future state. And so you need to understand your product, how it gets them to their future state from their current state. So if you don't understand their current state and how your product gets them there. Yeah. Then you're just going to be, <laughs> you're just going to be talking about a product and all these bells and whistles that don't mean anything to them. You're, you're going to hope that they understand the, the value it is for them. Right. Cause you're going to, you're going to have the customer do more of the work. It's like, Oh, it does this, which yeah. means it help me because of blank. Right. So they have to, they have to go through the thought process and figure out why something is good for them. Right. Where you as a salesperson, that's, that's your job. That's your job. Exactly. So awesome. Cool. All right. So you had that discovery call. Woo! you think that you got them and then you send them that email like hey here's an invoice or something and then there's nothing there 
Right. Two weeks, <laughs> nothing there. You're like, wait, I thought they liked me. Talk, talk, talk to us about um, what you think of or when. Okay. So what do you do when you think you're being ghosted? Yeah. Yeah. So ghosting can happen to any of the process, right? So, so, you know, depending on your sale, depending on what you're selling in your sales cycle, you might get a sale during the discovery call. You might talk demo, you might talk pricing, you might do a quote after the discovery call, depending on the product, you might have three discovery calls, you know, three demos with different departments, right. Yeah. And meet with finance and meet with, uh, you know, several different teams, right. So you, you could have a 30 day sales cycle. You could have a, a three year sales cycle, right. So depending on it, uh, people can ghost you at any part of the process. And the way that I've always handled that is I was taught very early in sales, always make sure you have a next step on the calendar with a clear goal of that meeting. Don't ever say, cool, let's connect in a couple of weeks. Kiss, kiss the deal. Goodbye. Like kiss it. Goodbye. If you don't have a next step, if you don't, if you're not taking people through a process, right? Like, like sales is a lot about leading, mm-hmm. right? I have to educate you, but I also have to lead you right? You don't understand the process. You're maybe buying this technology for the second time, the third time, right? I'm selling this technology for the 999th time. Like I understand the process and I'm going to take you through this process, right? When I go to a doctor, right? He doesn't say like, Hey, just come, come sit down in the office whenever you're ready, right? I'll be back here waiting. No, he says, Hey, fill out the the intake paperwork. And then we're going to call you back. Right. And like, and I want you to go get this test on the 17th. And I want you to come back to my office in six months. Here's the date I've already put like, so you want to make sure that you have a clear next step and it's on the calendar. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's number one way to solve ghosting is making sure you have the next step on the calendar and making sure that you're providing value in between that time, between now and my next meeting. If I don't communicate with you, you're going to forget about me. Right. My meeting's going to start becoming deprioritized. I need to be continuing to give you value and provide you value in between meetings, right? Mm-hmm. And so those, those are the things you have to do on the front end of avoiding being ghosted. Now, you can do everything right and still be ghosted at any stage in the process, right? So what do you do when you're ghosted? Well, uh, you know, obviously, I take it very seriously when I'm being ghosted, right? I want to make sure that you give me an answer about why we're not connecting, right? So I'm going to email and sometimes I'm going to email excessively, right? So I'm going to kind of, I'm going to give it a cadence at first. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt at first. You know, I'll send you an email. Hey, it's been, you know, you missed our meeting last week. You know, or, hey, you missed our meeting yesterday. Just want to make sure everything's okay, mm-hmm. right? Or, hey, you know, you missed our meeting last week. Just checking in, making sure, you know, things are still on track. Did you see that article I sent you about XYZ, right? And then I'm going to start, you know, messaging them on LinkedIn. If I got their number, you know, I try to get their cell number so I can text them. I'm trying to text them. Right. And, and, you know, and so I'm going to do everything I can when I'm being ghosted to get them back into the conversation. Right. And so that's just being creative, but also not being needy. Hey, just checking in, never send that email, never send a checking in email. Mm -hmm. I'm not just checking in. They know you're not just checking in, you're checking on your sale, right? Never send that email. Right. So I always say, Hey, you know, saw on LinkedIn, you posted about this article. That's super cool, man. I'm just staying your friend. If you're ghosting me, I'm still staying your friend. We're still staying in communication. I'm still researching you. I'm still following you and understanding what you're doing. And so I'm making a friend because if if you're making a friend, they're less likely to continue to ghost you, right? If you're being transparent, if you're being vulnerable, if you're being sincere, then people are going to give you, you know, you're going to get what you give. Yeah, I love that. All right. That's good. You set up the next meeting. And a lot of times when it comes to sales, there is uh, the initial discovery meeting where you try and make a champion. 
and then you set up time with the actual decision makers. The, the champion goes and sets up time with the actual decision makers, whether that, the, whether that be the CEO, the CFO, the director of XYZ, there is that second important meeting where you have to resell the other people who are in the meeting. Talk to us quickly about that, but real quick. What happens in yeah. and how should we structure that meeting? Yeah, so really uh, I try to be strategic with how much, how far I go in the process with the wrong person. Okay. okay. If you've got the wrong person on the call, right. And, or, or you don't have the decision maker, I'll say it that way. Cause sometimes the, the champion is not the wrong person, but they're not the decision maker. So if I don't have the decision maker in the car, in the process, then I'm going to be selective about how far we go. And I'm going to try to say, Hey, you know, if you want to move along this process, then, then typically what we found is the best is to bring in the stakeholders into this next part where we're going to do the demo or bring the, the stakeholders into the discovery call, right? Like I'm going to try to bring the stakeholders in early and as soon as possible. That's not always the case, but you'll try to bring in the decision makers and the stakeholders early into the process so they can see the value from the beginning. You want to avoid the situation where your champion is trying to sell on your behalf, right? They're not going to be as good at it as you. Right. You're going to be better at that, right? So you want to avoid that situation. Uh, when you get to that stage, where the champion, you know, and you have been working together and kind of going over needs and RFP and you're trying to figure it out. Then at that point, you say, hey, all right, now it's time that we start presenting this to leadership, right? Talk to me about your process. What does that look like? What does a presentation leadership look like? Are, are they going to jump into a car? Are they open to a meeting? Can I come on site? Or is this going to be more of like, uh, you know, you're going to have to pitch this and I need to help. You know, I can be there for you. I can be at that meeting on Zoom or you're going to have to, you know, tell me, tell me your process. What does the process look like? You know, once my champion understands the value, how do we how do we sell this upstairs, right? How do we sell this value to your boss and to your leadership? And they're going to give you, right? And so, you know, sales guys oftentimes they they want to stay away from the word sell, right? They want to stay stay away from the you know like, hey, how do we get this deal done, right? They want to just oh, so you see, it's good, right? So we're ready to sign, like they you know like it's okay to say, hey, who do you have to convince? You know, I've built this rapport with my champion. I know you, hey, you know, Bob, this is going to be great for you, man. Like we, like we both agree. What do you, where do you go next and how can I serve you, right? Like how can I best prepare you and arm you for the next conversation for the sale that you have to go make now, right? How can I be there? Can I be there with you, yeah. right? I can't be there with you. What, what can I give you? What case studies are going to be most helpful, right? What collateral, right? So always try to get the stakeholders in there. If you can't always try to arm your champion. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I did sales coaching for a little bit and- when I help people with discovery calls, I, I noticed that they didn't ask those questions, that it was just like, so what's next? It wasn't who else needs to be a part of this conversation or even getting getting in front of it. If you know what the process is, if there's a pattern with every single one of your customers and you know like what the process is, maybe even have a slide with a roadmap. So we are here. Now we need to get here to get here to get here. I love that. I love that. Right. So let's set up this meeting. How does that work in, in your organization? Right. Yeah, I would say 100 percent to that, man. I, I echo that. Have a, a sales roadmap in your process. Mm -hmm. If you're having a discovery call, make sure they understand. Here's the roadmap. Here's what the process is going to look like if we do the process right. If we do the process right at meeting number three, your executive is going to be in that meeting. Your chief of marketing is going to be in that meeting. Right. Here's the process. If we do it right, if you give them the guide, they'll follow the guide. Right. It's that framework, that blueprint mentality. And the last thing I'm, I'm interested, in, this might be a hot take on uh, my part, but on the guide, when I did teach the guide, I would always say, don't stop at invoice or sign meeting. You have to stop at value achieved. 
Right. Yep. So I'm selling exactly car, right. Not okay. You bought the car and that's the end of the road. No, it's then you took your kids to Kings Island and they love you. <laughs> that's exactly right. On the roadmap. Oh my gosh. And, and because you like, you know, with sales guys, it's like, how do I get this finished? Right? Like sales guys don't want to say, Hey, when should we have another meeting? Right? Sales guys are like, when are we going to close? Right? No, the next meeting is the close, right? The next meeting is the close, get the next meeting with the next stakeholder. But then also like, once you close the deal and you have a customer, don't just say, see a thanks. That's a friend. That's a friend who's going to refer you to seven other people, right? Like that is that refer referrals are worth so much more than all the time you could spend prospecting. A referral is 10 times more valuable than a week of prospecting. Referrals don't neglect your referrals. Always stay champion. You're going to go to another job and you're going to wish you to stayed friends with your customers, right? You're going to wish you'd kept that network and kept those relationships. And uh, you're going to want to make sure that your customers are having success because if that customer doesn't have success with their product, right? Then you failed, you failed them, yeah. right? You led them down the wrong path, right? So you want to ensure that they're having success and you want to maintain that relationship because referrals uh, are lifeblood of sales. Yeah, I love that. All right, speaking of that, you kind of teed up the next section here, which is the close. What does close mean to you? Yeah, yeah, a closing really, you know, everyone talks about the close like it's a moment. Here's the moment that we're going to close. A close happens from the discovery call. Like my close happens from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. If I if I asked the right questions, I got the right people involved, and I showed value all through each stage, then you were closed way before we get to the closing call, right? You were sold way before I say, here's the contract, right? And so when it comes to the time to close, I like to just review everything. Hey, you know, we've let, let's go back over the, the timeline again. We had a discovery call, we demoed, we talked to the product team, we talked to your different teams. We got the buy-in. It sounds like we're all in agreement. This is the next step that's going to solve problem X, solve problem Y, and get you guys into that fourth quarter results that you want. Mm -hmm. When you know, when are you guys ready? When are you guys ready to go? When we you know, and and ideally, I have their date before I get to the close, right? So a lot of times in sales, you're like, hey, you know, when do you want to when do you want to close? When do you want to do this thing? If you're in the discovery call saying, hey, I like to work backwards from your from your date that you need to have this implemented. Let's assume before I even get into the product, let's assume we do everything you need and it's a perfect fit. What's your timeline for implementation? Yeah. Yeah. August. Your timeline's August. Let's work backward from that. All right. So your timeline's August. We know it takes two months to implement. Right. So that brings us to June. June, we're closing. Right. So before we close in June, we got to meet with product team. So that means in May, we're meeting with product team. Right. And we're getting and we're getting the final sign off from your CFO. Right. And so like working backwards from their desired timeline is the best way to set up close. Right. Because you've got a date on the counter. Here's our target closing date. This is the date we're going to close this thing. You don't want them. You know, it's a Monday. You're got, you guys are just having a meeting like, hey, Bob, you just wanted to catch up, man. Hey, great. Oh, cool. Yeah. I just dropped my kids off at school and, you know, having a rough day. Oh, OK, cool. Hey. I wanted to spring it on you. Can I send a contract today? You don't want to surprise people with a contract. You don't want to surprise people with the ask, right? You want to let them know the ask will come. And here's when the ask is going to come, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask it on this date, right? Um, and then the other thing is just not being scared to ask for the business and ask for the close. That's another thing salespeople, they're just so intimidated, you know, like, oh, I don't want to ask them, you know, you got to ask, you got to ask for the close. You got to ask. Cause again, when I was doing sales coaching, sometimes the person would just get the um, other prospect excited about the product and then just smile. 
I'm like, you have to yeah. ask. They're ready for you to ask, but you're not asking. <laughs> yeah, ask. no, they're giving you all the signals. Right. But they're scared. They're like, oh, I don't want to be pushy. That's that's the moment. I don't even, I won't even call it pushy. It's just appropriate, I would say, for you to yeah. then give them what they're excited about. Well, and so often prospects, they're used to salespeople, right? They know if I tell you no right now, you're going to bug me and you're going to fight my objections. You're really wise to know. Where's your objections? You're going to try to find my objection if I tell you no right now. So I won't tell you no. I'll just say, yeah, it sounds pretty good. I'll get back to you. Sounds pretty good. I'll get back to you, right? That's when you have to say, hey, you know, Tom, no, no, I totally understand. Yeah, like, you know, we, we've talked about the value. You guys see the value of it. You're saying like, you'll get back to me. Uh, what's the what's the holdup? What's the reservation? If this is, you know, if this is going to solve this problem, I imagine you don't want to go three more months with this problem, right? So so why, what's preventing you guys from moving forward? Why, why not pull the trigger on this, right? And get and help that because then you're going to get the objections they're keeping close to their vest. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just a little bit too much money. Yeah. Okay, but uh, you know, we talked about you know, explain to me, you know, how you know what what money were you what were you expecting it to cost? Right. Okay, you were expecting it to cost X. Well, what's it costing you now to have this problem? Right. Like if this problem was fixed six months ago, how much revenue would have would have been you know would you have gotten from that? Right. And so getting them to you know, getting to that final objection, uh, even in, even within the close, right? So you got to ask for the close so you can get to those final objections. And then when you're closing, you're not going to close if you didn't bring the decision maker into the conversation. If you don't have the decision maker in the conversation, you're not going to close. Yeah, I love that. And on, you just, you just had a great tactic on how to overcome the price objection. And I wanted to throw one in there. I saw on LinkedIn, one of the people I follow, um, he he wrote something around how to overcome the price objection. And he was like, well, how much do you expect a product that does X, Y, Z? How, how much should it cost? Given its value, how much do you think it should cost? And I was like, wow. Absolutely. <laughs> that's a good one because it just opens up the conversation. It's not, I feel like that's where you're you're cradling the egg, right? That's yeah. a good way to just open up the conversation. Given it does this, how much should it cost to you? Right, what yeah. is it? So I thought that was good. Yeah, and, and they hit you with a low number and you say, uh, have do any other providers provide it at that cost? Right. Oh, okay. Provider A does. Uh, gotcha. Let, let me look at some of provider A's clients. Right. Is have you looked? Have you talked to provider A? Like, and then and now you're not comparing price. Now you're comparing product. Right. You're comparing different companies. Right. And so yeah, price is always uh difficult for sales guys to navigate, but it's so crucial. It's so important to 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 not run away from price and talk about the pricing conversations. Yeah. I agree. Um, before we move into the next section, thank you for your insights on close the close. I think that's that's really important. And um, I wanted to quickly jump uh, to a question around selling something that doesn't exist. Because I, I in this podcast, I talk to technical founders. I talk yeah. talk to uh, customer service reps uh, who have been in sales and also did account management. And we always end up talking about this, where sometimes the salesperson could miss sell. The product or oversell uh, mm. the product. Talk to us about your potential experience with this. Have you have you ever dealt with that? Just give us a salesperson's perspective. Yeah. So this is a time that um, you know we talked earlier about how product and sales need to have open communication, right? And and really good conversations around product. Mm -hmm. uh, product people also need to never tell salespeople what's on the roadmap because a sales guy will sell the roadmap yeah, any right. chance he's given, right? So like. You know, I've been in, in, in times I've done this early in sales where I was like, oh, yeah, we're building that feature super soon. And it was a feature that was super important to this client. This client needed that feature to be successful. And that feature got deprioritized. 
Mm. And they didn't build it uh, at, at the time that we thought they would build it. And so I had a super unhappy customer, right? And so it's super important. You know, my, my mentor and boss at that time said, hey, sell what's on the truck, right? You can talk about what's coming, but sell what's on the truck. Sell what we can deliver today. If, if what we could deliver today isn't what they need, then they're not ready to close because we're just going to churn and we're going to have an angry customer. And you know who's the loudest on social media? The angry customers. Right. The people that had a terrible experience are going to be the ones that that shout your brand, brand to the world from the mountaintop, right? And so it's super important that salespeople understand, I, I want to communicate to you that what I'm selling you today is I'm able to deliver today right? Sell what you can deliver. Don't sell something that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and if you're casting vision, if, if the thing that doesn't exist is something you're casting vision for, then that's fine. You can cast vision, right? You can dream and you can have vision, but make sure people are aware this is this is what's available today. Like sell them uh, what we can do today can bring you to your future state. You don't have to wait for something different. Mm-hmm. That's good. Seems like you got a, you've had a lot of good mentors, teachers, and bosses throughout your sales career. Which, which brings me to uh, my, the next topic, the next theme here, which is all around culture. I want to talk about how to build a healthy sales team, healthy sales culture. Um, and we'd like to approach it from the other direction. What, what does a bad sales culture look like? Yeah, I've been a part of some great cultures and I've been a part of some really bad cultures. And the biggest difference is um, really just people feeling cared for and leaders leading, right? So often I've been in cultures where Sales guys were rewarded for bad behavior and leadership didn't step in and correct it, mm-hmm. right? And so when people get a, get away with doing the wrong things, it breeds, it breeds a bad culture, right? I've also been a part of cultures where targets were unachievable. And this falls on leadership too. If you can't hit your targets, if targets are, are unattainable, right? You're just going to have a frustrated team that never gets the satisfaction of ringing the bell, right? Yeah. You have to have something that your team can aspire to that's realistic, that's winnable, Right, because it's those successes that are going to fuel the next successes. Right, if 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 I have a target that's unattainable for several and several months, well, guess what I'm doing? I'm looking for another job where I can attain the target. Right, like you don't want you want to have be have alignment in in those regards. So bad culture just really comes around. It 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 starts from the leadership. Like it's leadership down, and it's cultivating an environment of of open and honest communication. Right, mm-hmm. so I'm a very confrontational person. I, I do not tend to agree with others quickly. I will process your information. I will run it through a few filters and then I'll decide if I agree or if I don't agree. Some people agree by default, right? You're in a meeting and there's like, oh, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree, right? Or they agree because your title. Oh, you've got a big important title. I'm just gonna agree with everything you say, right? Like I'm not one of those people. I'm very much gonna analyze the quality of the content you're presenting and, and, and I'm going to let you know whether I believe that that's correct or that's incorrect, right? And so I've been in some environments where that was encouraged and supported, mm-hmm. right? And leadership didn't have an ego problem where they were like, hated someone having a difference of opinion or not agreeing with them, right? And I've been in those environments where leadership, hey, that's a great point. Let's discuss that. Let's talk about, you know, why, why isn't it a good fit? Why isn't it a good decision? Why isn't it a good strategy, right? And so having that open and honest communication where people feel empowered to disagree is so is so critical, right? If you don't have that, if you if you create a culture where everyone's scared to disagree, yeah. right? You're gonna have everyone running after avoidable problems, right? Uh, uh, you're everyone's gonna be encountered problems that could have been avoided, right? Right. Yeah. So the biggest thing about culture is is leadership and mentorship, right? You have to be mentor. You have to be investing in your people. If you're not investing in your people, right, then 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 it's just a job. 
mm-hmm. right? It's just a job and it's collect a paycheck and punch out, right? But if you're investing in your people, if you know, if you know that I'm married, if you know that I've got kids, if you know what I'm struggling with, if you know like what's going on in my life, then you're investing in me as a person. And and one of my bosses at, at Resi really did this incredibly. He invested in me so much, he would pray for me, right? He would he would uh, ask me how my family was doing. Like he was invested in me as an individual and in my individual success. What are you doing outside of work? What are your passions? Like what's next for you after this role? My boss wanted to know what's next for me after the role I'm in, right? Like he was invested in me as a person, not as a worker bee, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's that type of treating people with that type of respect that builds that culture. Yeah, I love that, man. You said a lot of, a lot of great things there. And I going to do my own kind of like self-reflection here and for the people who are yes men because sometimes I can not I don't say yes sometimes because oh it's the other person's title I just don't like confrontation sometimes and sometimes um, I feel like eventually the data will will tell who's right or who's not even if I like genuinely mm. believe that you are wrong I'm like well eventually you're gonna fail you're gonna fall like, yeah, I see a cliff there, but eventually you're going to fall down the cliff and then you'll know that there's a cliff there instead of yeah. saying there's a cliff there, right? Sometimes I just don't want to have that confrontation because what if they don't believe me? What if blah, blah, blah. So for the person who is um, a bit softer and not as confrontational, be be bold. If you really believe be that something is incorrect, speak up on it because you might see a hole that that your leadership might not might not see. So yeah. Well, there's another side of that coin too. So like I also encourage you, sometimes it's wisdom to not constantly be calling out the problem. So I once interviewed for a job and uh, the you know CFO or COO was like, hey, what do, what do you think is your biggest weakness? And I said, my biggest weakness is that when I walk into a museum and I see a painting, I see what's wrong with it before I see what's beautiful, mm-hmm. right? I see what's missing before I see what's great. And so I say, I bring that into my work experience where I'm really great at picking out what's wrong but I don't always see what's working. And he said, that's, he said, that's not a flaw. That's a gift. That critical eye, the ability to see what's broken is a gift. What you need to work on is how and when you present it and having wisdom, right? If you don't have, and he he said to me, if you don't have a solution, don't point out the problem. If you haven't taken the time to think of a solution, don't point out the problem. It's true too. And understand timing, right? If your boss is leading a meeting with the sales team, like, hey, guys, got some things I really want to rally you against. And you take that rally meeting as a time to say, nah, not going to be not going to work. Good luck. Good luck, buddy. If that, if you take that time, that's not productive. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you pull your manager inside and say, hey, you know, you know what you shared. I see I see some holes. You know, I see some cliffs with that. I think, like, can we jam on that? Can we jam on that a little bit? Right. And so like with sales, sales are so competitive and there's so much ego in sales, right? People can get really vicious in the sales arena and wanting to say, oh, you know, look at me, I'm good at this. And, you know, and, oh, I want to put my name on that. Like I want to credit for that. Right. And so there's all this ego that flies around in sales. But if you can, if you can try to make your boss get a promotion, right. If you can try to make, if you could try to make your boss look as good as possible, you're going to be successful. You're going to help contribute to a great culture, right? Instead of calling, you know, oh man, you know, that, that idea is never going to work. Or talking with other sales, ah, guys, that idea is never going to work. If you go to your boss, hey boss, I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if you thought about this, but maybe this is another way to accomplish that. And then all of a sudden he's making the, the change, right? And so it's all about timing. It's all about using tact with your communication. And then, you know, being able, if, if, if you see a problem, you better thought of a solution. Yeah, that's big. That's big. You don't want to be the person constantly pointing out the flaws. 
um, because flaws take time to fix sometimes too, right? If there's yeah. five flaws you pointed out to one day, then you found the other three, and then you pointed them out right away, that just might not be the, the, the right time because they're already, they're already thinking about how to fix the other two. And um, the other thing, I had something and I lost it. Gosh, it's okay. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Um, but I did want to go back to setting a goalpost when it comes to sales goals because yeah. I talked other people on this podcast around this and that was a big problem with me and one of the companies i work with the goalpost moved probably two two weeks at a time yeah and it was one of the most frustrating things as someone who really takes pride in their work and put a lot of time into building systems was the goalpost and even one time one of my boss said well i know the goal is 12 meetings but don't stop there of course and i'm like no of course i'm not gonna stop but let's celebrate right yeah don't, don't just don't just in the next week okay you hit 12 well that's it we're gonna move the goal to 13 like that's just i feel like it's not fair and i wanted to get your take on setting the goalposts. and then another tee up was one of the people I, I interviewed said he was a sales manager setting the goal and one time he set a goal that was too low and then mm -hmm. everybody blew it out the water and that was just a bad goal post from a okay my reps only need to work two days a week Right. So you yeah. do want to get the most out of I hate that term. You do want to get the most out of people, but um, but you don't want to be annoying about it. I just what, what's your take on that? Yeah. Well, everybody has a fiscal responsibility, right? Like, like, you know, the sales team has a responsibility to the company to generate as much revenue as possible, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you get there? How do you get to the as much revenue as possible? Right. You have to have clear, reliable, historical data on what was attainable and have clear indicators of any multipliers to that attainability, right? So if, if last quarter we generated X in sales, I can expect a, a, a reasonable increase in sales if we apply this, right? But so oftentimes what happens is, is sales will get passed down, you know, sales leaders will get passed down a number from, from, from you know, CEO. CEO will say, hey, I wanna generate this, you know, 5 million in sales this year, right? It doesn't matter if they did 1 million in sales before the year before or 4 million in sales the year before. That's what the CEO wants to generate. He wants 5 million, right? Mm -hmm. And he isn't looking at data. He's just looking at, he's looking at what he wants to have, right? I want to get to this place where we have this revenue. And so that's backwards goal setting, right? You're not building on any kind of reality. It's just a pipe dream. Right. It's just a pipe dream goal. And so, you know, I feel bad for, for sales managers who are in that position where they're given a number right? And they have to, they have to hit that number, right? And they know, man, that number's nowhere in sight. And my team's going to be at 10%, 20% attainment, right? And that's going to be a demotor. It's going to kill the motivation of everyone on the team, right? And it's not going to be successful, right? But then you have those leaders that say, hey, historically, what did we do last year? We did a million five in sales this year. Let's, let's hit, let's hit 2 million, right? Right. Or, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to ramp up marketing this year, right? And we're making some partnerships. So I want us to scale to 3 million, and it's not just three. I'm not just doubling it for the sake of doubling it. I'm doubling it because, because of X, Y, Z. I'm doubling it because we're having this integration. I'm doubling it because we're putting more money into marketing, right? Have a reason for your projections, right? Have a reason that's based in reality. And so that you can cast that vision down to your team because your team needs to have a plan for hitting those targets, right? If, you're, if your team is given a target that they can't hit, nothing kills motivation like that, right? And so you want your target to be, it, it should be challenging, right? You don't want a target that everyone on the team can hit. Okay. You want to aim for 60% attainment. I want a target that 60% of my, my team can hit. If my team can hit 60% attainment, we're in that sweet spot. 
right? Where the top performers are getting it done and the other guys are learning, mm -hmm. right? Because you're going to have rotation. You're going to have churn on your sales team, right? And so 60% attainment is really that sweet spot. And that's where you want to be. And then if you're getting like 70, 80% per, uh, attainment, guess what? It's time to move that goalpost out a little bit. And that's the correct way. Move the goalpost out as you stretch your team, right? You want to move the goal past, goalpost out because the top performers are always going to be at the top of the list. They're never going to be at the bottom. And, and that's just the way it works. So you want to keep moving those goalposts out because it's your fiscal responsibility as a company to be generating as much revenue as possible. But what you don't want to be doing is having goalposts so far out that no one's hitting attainment. Yeah. Because, and then you're trying to, all right, well, hey, we're going to drop it down 2%. We're going to bring that goal in 2%. And that should help you when your team's nowhere close to the goal. Yeah. Right. Now you've lost credibility. Now you've lost relational equity with your team. Right. Nothing's more disconnecting than when leadership sets goals that are unrealistic. It makes you lose confidence in, in what in their vision and what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. I, yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. I got nothing else to say. Everything you just said. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, OK, that's that's 100 percent. 100% correct. And it's lo losing credibility is huge because if you lose cre credibility, you lost your team. Like yeah. they're, not, they're, they're their own boss now. You literally lost your position as boss. Yeah. <laughs> CEOs, leaders, you're in sales. You're right. selling a vision to your, to your team, right? You have to be able to sell that vision. And how do you sell that vision? You give them a plan, you give them a roadmap and you understand what it's going to take to get there. Yeah. Okay. I did remember the the last thing that I was forgetting before. So you spoke around how it's important to make your boss as successful as possible. And I wanted to add to that, uh, which is like, make everybody as successful as possible. Mm, share, so true. Share, 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 you know, if the new guy's here or somebody's struggling and you got an idea to help them, help them. Don't just be, oh, I'm going to hold all these nuggets of information so that way I can be as successful as possible. Try and share. Yeah. So important, man. I had a guy... Uh... He, he wasn't in the sales department. He was in success. Okay. And he would always harp on me about personal brand. He said, Kyle, manage your personal brand. Understand your personal brand. You know, you're smart. You're good at sales. You, you hit the numbers. You're one of the top performers. You're always harping on product and what needs to be built next. You're always inserting yourself into conversations. But if you're not careful, you're going to become that person that no one wants to have in the meeting. You're going to start missing out on meetings because you're not encouraging others. You're not letting others celebrate and have their wins and have their victories. So, you know, when I was young and really terrible at sales, and, and I still struggle with some of these things, right? Like my, my, my love language is words of affirmation and, and, and acknowledgement. Man, when people see me and they see my contribution, like that's, man, that's my motivation. Like that's how, you know, I get motivated by that. I get, I get energized by that, right? By the, by that affirmation. And so sometimes I can forget that, man, other people need that too, right? There's someone else on my team that needs to be celebrated, Right. And, and, and to build that synergy. And so like so much of culture, it, it, it's top down from leadership, but it takes everybody. It takes everybody making that contribution. And especially in sales, a sales team can be the first team that kills culture. Mm -hmm. If the sales team is not gelling, right. If the sales team is at war, right. Like they're, they're the ones with the mouth. That's the front of house, right? Front of house, right? If, if, if the waiters are fighting, no one's coming to that restaurant, right? Like you got to have synergy and you got to have, uh, you know, a tight group with your sales team and having people encouraging each other. And what does that is having 
the ability for pe people to succeed together. When you like, and back to targets, if you have targets that are unattainable, guess what the sales guys are going to be doing? They're going to be fighting each other and clawing over leads. They're going to be clawing over a piece of that pie that they can't get, right? So you have to have something that's attainable. If everyone can win as a team, it's a team sport. A business is a team sport. Yep, completely agree. Awesome, man. We'll move into the uh, final section, final theme here, and it's all around advice. What advice would you give someone who is who's new to sales, who's just 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 going and joining the sales team? Yeah, uh, man. What advice? I would say, um, be coachable, be teachable. There's so much you have to learn. It's going to feel like you figured it out after you get one good meeting and you haven't. Be coachable, be teachable. That's the best advice I can give someone is be hungry to get better. And the way you get better is by being taught yeah. and by being teachable. So find people, if you're, if you're new to sales, there's someone on your team who's crushing it. Be their best friend. Ask them how they do it. Follow them, mimic what they do. And that's gonna be the quickest way for you to start learning. Secondly, resources. Read the challenger sale, read gap selling. You know, follow sales leaders on LinkedIn, right? get that information and start, you know, practicing and really use a script. I mean, I know so many sales guys are against the script, use a script, learn your script, own your script. Uh, and ultimately it's just going to be, it's just going to be trial and error. You know, like one of the hardest things for me as a salesperson was picking up the phone. I hated call, cold calling. I wanted to email everybody because I hated, I hated rejection over the phone, right? I hated that awkward moment when you say, ah, get out of here, beat it, you know, scram. So that took so long to overcome right? To learn that like, hey, it's a numbers game, right? Like I'm not going to, not everyone's going to love me and my personality, right? Not everyone's going to love my product. Not everyone's going to be at the best, having the best day, right? So don't take it personal. If someone hangs up on you, don't take it personal, right? Imagine that they just had some terrible event happen, right? Like imagine sympathy, like use your creativity to build empathy because empathy will ultimately be better than tough skin. Tough skin is important, but empathy is better. Have empathy for people and have a passion for helping them and educating them and believe that what you offer can help them. Yeah. That's the best. That's the best. That also my number one advice. I know there's a lot of advice right there. Number <laughs> one advice, sell a product that actually works. Right. Sell okay. something that is needed that you believe in because there's nothing worse than trying to sell something that you don't believe in. Mm -hmm. Love it. I love it, man. You said a lot of good things there. And um the, the last and final question here is, you kind of answered this, but what, what does it take to be good at sales? You, you always talk about the, the top guy. What does it take to, to become that top guy? Yeah, uh, extreme ownership. That's another book to read, extreme ownership, right? Owning, owning your success is what it takes, right? There's a lot of reasons to complain of why you're not successful. Oh, the targets are too far out, or I don't have enough resources or training. I don't have enough there's not enough leads, right? There's, there, there's all these things that you could blame and they might be true. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you have to take ownership. You've got to own your pipeline, right? You've got to own it. So if you want to be successful, you've got to do everything in your power and you've got to have grit and you've got to put in the time and put in the work, right? And that's going to get acknowledged. And, and, and that's what's going to lead to success is putting in the work, being humble enough to be teachable, and, and taking ownership of your pipeline. One of the things one of my old bosses harped on all the time is I was in a season at a company where we had nothing but inbound leads. It felt reckless to go prospect when we had so many inbound leads to close. It was like taking orders. It was like being a waiter again. It was so, we were just efficient, man. And it was so great. And my boss would still say, did you make any cold calls this week? 
did you do any prospecting this week? Like, hey man, why are you harping me on prospecting? Like I've got this, we've got this funnel, we've got these leads, I got deals to close, man. What are you bugging me about this for? And he said, if you don't train that prospecting muscle constantly, what are you going to do when these leads dry up? What are you going to do when we don't have this inbound funnel? Right. Right. He was thinking long-term. He was thinking skills development. He was thinking, how are you going to make it when you don't have it being handed to you? Right. And so such a key lesson is that prospecting is never going to go away. You got to be able to prospect, and especially all the changes with AI and email and all the filters and all the things It's going to be harder than ever to stick, you know, everyone's gonna be sending AI emails left and right, right? Like the AI generated content, everyone's gonna be getting, you know, the same content left and right. You're gonna have to differentiate yourself, right? And 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 cold calling is one of the best ways to do that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right, what's next for you, Kyle? What's next in your journey? Next for me, man, I mean, I'm really, you know, uh, you know, I'm still in sales, but I've, you know, spent the last two or three years uh, working on app development, right, and developing apps and working with AI. Uh, and so, you know, I've launched a couple apps. Uh, you know, I launched an app called Stage Rush, where you could book performers and book bands. And so I had some, you know, some, a couple fails along the way, a couple apps that were, Ew. you know, uh, you know, passion projects, but didn't generate, you know, any, any kind of income or anything. But uh, me and my business partner recently are about to launch a brand new app called Huddle.ai, and Huddle.ai is going to bridge the gap between uh, developer AI and and common AI, right? So there's you know, AI is just a buzzword right now. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, look, I can create photoshopped images of cats, and I can create you know like uh, you know write emails left and right, and I can write blogs using AI. Like this is so cool, but there's there's no there's no way for people to understand the complexity of how do I differentiate using AI and how do I make AI productive? There's so many business leaders that are struggling to make AI productive in their company, right? Uh, and so how do I start getting familiar with AI? How do I start using AI for strategy? The most powerful thing about AI is not the ability to generate a photo or generate a blog. The most powerful thing about AI is the ability to process huge amounts of data. Right. So that's the power behind AI. If I can process huge amounts of data, then I can make the best possible decision because of all the information. Right. Like they say, you know, the, the wisest person in the room is the person who speaks last. And that's because they've heard everyone else talk first. They have the most amount of information before they respond. Right. And the same is true in business with data. The person with the most data wins. The person with the most insights is going to be able to make the best decisions. And so uh, me and my business partner are launching Huddle.ai to help professionals and entrepreneurs and startups expand their insights by using AI staff, AI teams, building an AI workforce, right? So when you're a startup, you don't have a VP of marketing, right? You're the VP of marketing, right? You don't have a sales guy, you're a sales guy, right? A lot of startups and entrepreneurs, they're wearing all the hats, right? And so they don't have the insights they need. They got to go to Google. All right, Google, tell me how to do marketing or, you know, ChatGPT, tell me how to do marketing, but they lack the ability to have a team that's working for them on that, right? And so what we've built is an, is the first, the world's first AI team of employees to do work on your behalf, to Slack with, to have board meetings with, to have strategy sessions with, to be informed. So uh, uh, if we've got the time, I'd love to give you the the inside demo. It's no one's seen it. This is beta. This is pre-beta. Pre-beta. Uh, if you want to take a peek, we're gonna get a, <laughs> a little sneak peek. Before we dive into the sneak peek, I did want to ask, how can people get a hold of you and see your content? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Kyle Kewen. Uh, You can look me up on soberbars.com. 
uh, that's still going, that, that, that's still there. So check me out on LinkedIn uh, or find me on silverbars.com. Awesome. And before we, we hop into the demo, I just want to say to all my audio onlys, uh, this demo will be shared on YouTube. So hop over to YouTube if you want to see it. But uh, other than that, thank you so much for tuning in. And, you know, I hope you uh, hope you hope you learned a lot and can have better conversations because of this podcast. So thank you all uh, so much.